Welcome to the Scotland's Choice podcast. The journey to our referendum is underway, so join us as we discuss how together we can build a fairer, a more equal and a more prosperous Scotland. Our goal is to ensure that our listeners are informed, that they're encouraged to get involved and will hopefully inspire others to think about the possibilities for Scotland. Because... As our country renews, we need to choose our own future before somebody else chooses it for us. I'm your host, Drew Hendry MP, and in this episode, I'm in conversation with Stephen Flynn. Stephen's the MP for Aberdeen South and has been since 2019. He's also SNP spokesperson for business, energy and industrial strategy. He was formerly SNP group leader on Aberdeen City Council. He is also an avid Dundee United fan and a Scotland fan to boot. Stephen, thank you very much for joining me on Scotland's Choice. It's uh, fantastic to join you, Doug. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Thank you very much. But I want to talk, um, to start our chat today, talking about the, uh, the just transition. Many listeners will at least have some knowledge uh, of, as to what we mean when we talk about just transition. But in your own words, can you give a brief overview of the term and why it is so important? Yeah, uh, and it's a term that's on everyone's lips at this moment in time. Uh, between the, the journey to net zero and the just transition, it's all we're talking about as COP26 approaches. And, and the just transition is an incredibly info- important phrase because what it's about at the end of the day is making sure that as we make that movement to a, a green economy, that as many people as possible benefit from that. But importantly, and this is from certainly from a parochial point of view in the northeast of Scotland, it's about making sure that the communities that have given so much of invested themselves into the traditional fossil fuel industries that they're not left behind that they too benefit mm-hmm. from the the movement to that green economy it's something that i've been fighting for since i came into this house of commons it's what my predecessors uh, have also done that's something that we need do, to make sure happens do you feel that many workers in your aberdeen south constituency might be worried about the shift away from oil and gas to renewables um, you know, my my view is that this, this paradigm shift, this shift doesn't necessarily mean that they'll, you know, be impacted negatively. It could be a positive. They, they, they needn't lose their jobs. Yeah, I think it's understandable uh, for people to be concerned. People whose jobs are reliant upon the North Sea, who go out on the rigs, who work in the supply chain, who work in the offices in, in Aberdeen, whose entire life is, is built around extracting oil from the from the really hostile environment <laughs> that is, is the North Sea. And that's the key thing here, is that as we make that move forward, as we invest in that just transition, that the jobs of the future, the, the green jobs, the jobs in the likes of CCUS it will come to, the likes of hydrogen, the likes of offshore wind, the likes of tidal and wave energy, mm-hmm. where there's that ability to transfer the skills, that these people have the, the opportunity to, to get new jobs, new sustainable jobs that will see them through uh, into the, long into the future. Well, you, you just give a range of different industries. The media in Scotland often equates a just transition with the oil and gas sector uniquely, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. However, as we, you've just pointed out, the just transition is wide-ranging. In an independent Scotland, who stands to benefit from this? I think we all do. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the main thing about a just transition, because it's not just... It's not just about that investment in, in new technologies, new renewable technologies, which is absolutely the most important thing. It's also about 
the benefits that we can get from the harnessing of those skills, the exporting of those skills. That's of course one of the, the main reasons why the oil and gas industry has done so well because it's been able to export its knowledge around the world and hopefully as we as we move into that renewable future we can do the same. But it's also about alleviating people from poverty. You know, we can make better houses, we can insulate houses better, uh, we can have universities doing new research schemes. So right across the the board, there's opportunities that come with the journey to net zero and indeed that just transition. Mm -hmm. Well, the, that just transition obviously is going to need some kind of kickstart, it's going to need to move. The Scottish Government's already invested £12 million pounds in the just transition uh, training fund and this has seen almost 4,000 uh, people receive funding to, for training to reskill with I think a really high percentage of those, like 87% I think now in new jobs. How can we broaden this approach in the future? Yeah, and that's that's an important point. Obviously, there's been a lot of success up till now. Um, the Scottish Government's obviously invested a little bit more than that in some other projects as well. There's been £62 million in the Energy Transition Fund uh, for the north-east of Scotland. There's been the, the recent announcement of half a billion pounds uh, for, for Aberdeen in the northeast of Scotland. Which is unmatched. Yeah, yeah. Unmatched by the, the yeah, UK government. Ex so, yeah. Exactly. And mm -hmm. uh, we just found out uh, last week, a letter from Alistair Jack to myself, that they have no intention, the UK government has no intention of of match funding that, which is a complete, a complete betrayal. You know, we've given 350 odd billion pounds to the UK Treasury and they can't match fund 500 million pounds mm -hmm. for the Just Transition Fund. So yeah, there's, there's been a lot of investment from the, the Scottish Government. There will continue to be a lot of investment from the Scottish Government. But what we really need at this moment in time is, is for the, the UK Government to, to step up to the plate. And you know, if they're not willing to do that, then there's an easy route out for Scotland, which is to, to get its own independence, to have the ability to borrow and to invest in Scotland's future. And going back to the, uh, you know, the, the reskilling uh, with it, in, in oil and gas where people will be made redundant as part of the just transition, the, the, there's no limits on them in terms of retraining. Uh, they, they can retrain in other areas as well, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's about harnessing the skills and expertise that these individuals already have. You know. The, the ability to extract oil from the, the North Sea um, is, is an amazing feat, quite frankly. And the people that we're talking about are some of the most skilled individuals in Scotland. And we need to harness that skills and expertise and make sure that as we make that transition that, that we utilise their knowledge and their expertise to, to drive it forward. And if that means helping to invest in their future, then we should absolutely be doing that, yeah. yeah. Back in 2014, if I can ask you to cast your mind back, um, a common kind of unionist argument was that the price of oil was dropping, that oil was running out, that Scotland would be too poor without it. Now with the uh, focus on renewables, uh, does this prove that not only we can benefit from the natural resources we're lucky to have here, but we can also do it as a green and sustainable country going forward? Yeah, absolutely. You've hit the nail on the head there. And just, just for a little bit of context, of course, when we look at Scotland's natural resources and, and the extraction of oil and gas, um, where Norway has a, an oil fund that's worth in excess of a trillion dollars at this moment in time, Scotland has one that's worth absolutely nothing. So that's the UK government's record. So think of what we can do with the natural resources that we have going forward. You know, 25% of Europe's offshore wind. Mm. The opportunities are enormous and we need to have a government in place that wants to harness those opportunities. I don't believe the UK government wants to do that. We've well, in the, in the past we've seen them, you know, take the onshore wind, for example, out of the, yeah. the, the contracts for difference. We've seen them even take solar out of it. They're not really that, that interested in renewables. They're, they're more interested in different things, different dogmas. Yeah, they? of course. They'll, they'll continue to try and throw money at the nuclear energy, just mm -hmm. despite the fact that nuclear energy is now much more expensive than the likes of offshore wind. And we've seen the, dif the difficulties 
just in recent weeks in terms of the, the tidal and wave um, support that the UK government's been incredibly reluctant to put forward mm-hmm. uh, as well. So whilst they're trying to hold Scotland back, we want to build a more progressive green future for our nation. You mentioned a few uh, moments ago, very briefly, carbon capture and storage. We've just seen Aberdeenshire miss out again. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't a new thing on the latest carbon capture project. We're back on the reserve list as we've been before. What will the impact of this be on, uh, first of all, climate emergency, and secondly, local job prospects? Uh, and, and, in, and in an independent Scotland, would we invest in carbon capture and storage? In answer to your final question there, absolutely. Carbon capture and storage, the Independent Committee on Climate Change have have been abundantly clear that you can't get to net zero without carbon capture and underground storage. It has a key role to play in our journey to net zero. And the decision by the the UK government, it's it's unfathomable. Um, We had a situation, an unprecedented situation just yesterday, where the likes of Serene Woods, the Aberdeen Gamping Chamber of Commerce, Deirdre Mickey from Oil and Gas UK, penned a letter to the UK government urging them to rethink the decision that they've taken. And, and they've, not, they've not taken that decision lightly because they recognise the consequences for the northeast of Scotland of us not being at the forefront of investment for this technology. And when we look at it, you know, we are ideally based geographically. Mm-hmm. We have the existing infrastructure and as we've spoken about already, we have the skills and expertise of, of those in the northeast of Scotland who would be readily able to transfer their skills into, into that technology. So yeah, it's, it's been a massive betrayal um, of the northeast of Scotland and it flies in the face of all the rhetoric about a just transition. And you know, what I worry about and I think what everyone worries about is what the long-term consequences mm. of this could be for, for confidence uh, in the region, but also for the likes of Scotland's hydrogen future because the ACOM project, a key element of that was Scotland's uh, ability to, to produce hydrogen in, in, a, in a massive scale um, and to build that knowledge and expertise again that we could perhaps uh, export across Europe and the world. So, so the UK government have made a, an appalling decision. Yeah. I just hope, although I don't hold out much hope, <laughs> uh, I'll be honest, but I do hope that they might come to their senses. But the track record isn't very good, and I want to come back to that in a wee second, but you know, I, I've been told by industry experts in terms of the opportunities for the Accord project that there's about 5.7 gigatons of storage, carbon capture storage facility available there. Mm. Just now, you know, that, that's something you could, they could put into action really quickly, and for people listening, that's I'm told the equivalent of about 30 years of all of Scotland's gas emissions, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, uh, just in, in a fell swoop. That's before you do any further uh, advance with it. Yeah, the, the scale of this project is, is enormous um, and the work that's gone into it uh, as well by a whole host of partners across industry, uh, particularly of course across industry, is, is, is huge. And the fact that the, the government have walked away from it, just as they did, of course, in, in 2015 when they pulled the plug on the billion pounds of investment up in Peterhead at that time, it's, it's unforgivable. Uh, it's absolutely unforgivable. And, you know, it, it paints into stark reality the, the divergent views of, of the Scottish government and the UK government when it comes to investing in Scotland's future. But talking about that investment in Scotland's future, I, I said that it wasn't the first time that the North East had been 
the trade over car carbon capture and storage. And we're now told that the ACORN project is on the reserve list, and that's supposed to be a good thing. But, but of course, Peterhead was abandoned yeah. in 2015, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely spot on. And this this notion that we should be we should be happy about the fact that we are on the reserve list is is just absurd. You know, to put it in a, a football analogy, because you know I like my football, Drew. You wouldn't see Steve Clark sit John McGinn on the bench, and everyone would celebrate it. Of course, you wouldn't. Everyone would be extremely unhappy and, and everyone is extremely unhappy at this decision but unfortunately the UK government continue to just shut it out and say that it's not a big deal it's a good project it might happen at some point in the future that's not good enough if Scotland wants to to hit its net zero targets that's not good enough if we actually want to deliver that just transition. And, and you pointed out you, you said briefly there about the infrastructure being in place this is something that you know, it could, be, it could be made to work very quickly. It's got a head start, if you like, on that, on any other option, isn't well, it? Well, well, exactly. The the geographical location of of uh, the the project and the infrastructure that that's there, the the empty or emptying oil wells, the whole wrath of them that, that could simply just be turned on their head. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's it's a no brainer. It's mm -hmm. it's an absolute no brainer. And I, I almost feel like everyone was just accepting of the fact that this project was going to happen in the, in the North East and, and to have this taken away from us, as it has been, is, is just absurd. And, and I don't think we can overemphasize the importance of this, not, not just in terms of the CCUS decision, but also the refusal to match fund the £500 million Just Transition Fund because COP is on, we're literally on yeah. the eve of COP. Scotland is, the eyes of the world are on Scotland and its, and its energy future as we make that journey to, to net zero and here we are with the UK government betraying us once again. But, but And you don't use that word betrayal lightly because as I say, your communities have been hit twice with uh, with this. So that this is not something you say, hey, we would have liked this. This is this is promises broken, essentially. We, we, we heard even uh, Douglas Ross on the radio saying, oh, expect good news about the ACORN project and then uh, shows how clued in he is um, or how you know willing he was just to lead people down the path to say that 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 it is a real slap in the face isn't it for people in in the northeast of scotland indeed the whole of scotland yeah absolutely yeah and and on your point there this is a this is a scottish cluster this is about scotland's future mm -hmm. but of course it's it's got that direct link into the northeast of scotland and you look at the likes of of andrew bowie of david duke of of Douglas Ross himself, who, whose constituents would materially benefit from this, and where have they been? Where have mm. they been? Um, they, they say that they have influence within, within, uh, within the UK. That Scotland's place is best served within the United Kingdom. But yet, when it comes to the reality of the, of the situation that's in front of us, the, that could not be more far from the truth. Um, and I, I really do wonder um, what they must be thinking at this moment in time to know that their governments let yeah. them down just as much as it has Scotland. And, and you've mentioned COP26 many times and of course the climate emergency. The, the Just Transition Fund that you talked about from the Scottish Government, the £500 million, uh, that's something as we've said already, is the, the UK Government has failed to match that. Why in the circumstances of COP, in the circumstances of a climate emergency, do you think they've uh, they've, they've refused to look at any, any kind of investment like that for just transition? I think a lot of it comes back to the the same reasoning as to why CCUS um, wasn't taken forward in Scotland and that's because of politics. They don't like the fact that the Scottish Government's taking the lead on this and they don't want to be the ones to have to match fund the Scottish Government. 
there's a lot of petty politicking going on here and that's that's not right when it comes to, to Scotland's future, Scotland's energy future uh, in particular and the future of, of my constituents. And that's something we've seen with practically every city deal as well that's been announced uh, in Scotland. Because And don't forget this was a UK government idea the, which the Scottish government embraced as a cooperative yep. Uh, endeavour, and we've seen investments in, in cities across Scotland, including my own in Inverness, uh, where the Scottish Government have more than uh, put in much, much more than the UK Government to make these things work. Yeah, indeed, and the Aberdeen City Deal is, is, yeah. another, is another perfect example of that. So when, when we see um, the Scottish Government step up to the plate, put that investment in, and bearing in mind the Scottish Government's got a, a finite budget. It's in, a fixed in, budget. Yeah, yeah. exactly, in, in relation to the, the UK Government who can effectively borrow at will. Um, the, the two different paths that are getting taken here paint into stark focus how our future could be totally different. I, I want to move on to some of the opportunities that we have to, to obviously tackle the climate emergency at the moment, but also you know, where we could go in an independent Scotland. I can't do that, however, without referencing the point you made about the obsession with nuclear. Uh, power in the UK, which of course is inextricably linked to nuclear weapons development mm -hmm. as well um, with it. But th there has been so much money uh, sunk into nuclear, which obviously has a, an environmental residue that you just, they can't deal with clearly, they just can't deal with that. But but on a positive note, the you, for example, the Orkney Islands now produce all of their own energy from wind and tidal. There's massive opportunity there in, in terms of promoting that as opposed to nuclear. Um, it, the, the, the Orkneys previously imported energy. It, when do you think we'll see the, uh, the approach replicated in other areas of Scotland? Do you think it'll, it'll, it'll take independence to, to do that? Or do you think we can start to push ahead with that um, in, terms of, in, in terms of just making moves on it and becoming less reliant on, uh, on uh, national production? Yeah, and I think that's an important question because we look at the success of, of the likes of Orkney and, and it's something to be admired and, and envied. And I, I think at this moment in time, what we have is the Scottish Government putting in investment, but ultimately it's going to take having the full levers of power that come with independence to, to put in the, the, the ultimately the huge investment that's going to be required to make such things happen across the board. But if we look at a number of community projects that, that exist right across Scotland and we see the, the renewable energy that's being created from them and the way that that provides a stable energy source for mm. people, uh, which in the midst of a, an energy crisis is, is an extremely important thing, um, the, potential's, the potential's huge. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, when, when we marry that up against the likes of the obsession with with nuclear power and the 200 odd billion pounds which is ultimately going to get spent on weapons of mass destruction. Politics is about priorities, Drew, as you know, and, and our priorities are clearly different from those of the UK government. Um, we see across Europe just now the EU investing in all kinds of uh, you know, schemes and uh, ambitious projects. And Again, if I come back to the, the North East, we've seen the hydrogen bus project in Aberdeen, which was uh, you know, EU funded uh, as well to get that going. All kinds of things are happening uh, across the EU. They, they're investing, I think, 60, nearly 65, 75 billion pounds in the just transi transition mechanism in the next uh, slate. As we've already heard, the UK government's really dragging its heels when it comes to that investment. On that and other things, 
Um, how can an independent Scotland in the EU uh, benefit when it comes to taking forward measures to address the climate emergency and just transition? Yeah, um, that, that's almost a case of look at what we could have had, uh, <laughs> isn't it? Um, and what we could have. Yeah, and what <laughs> hopefully we will have yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. As, as part of the, the European Union in the not too distant future. And you know, when the European Union looks at Scotland, what, what they'll see is a, an area of massive opportunity for, for renewable energy. As I said earlier, 25% of Europe's offshore wind mm. uh, capacity is sitting off Scotland's coast. That, that's, that's enormous. The opportunities there are, are fantastic, but it's now about harnessing those opportunities. And, and I firmly believe, that, as, as you'll be unsurprised to know, <laughs> that the, the best way to do that is for Scotland to take its own future into its own hands. And, and you, would, you would find it difficult for me to disagree with that uh, proposition. It, one final uh, question. We're, we're doing this recording just ahead of COP26. Yeah. Um, we know that there has to be real ambition shown at this uh, meeting in Glasgow. Uh, we also know that there have to be uh, concrete decisions made um, that are going to uh, allow us to take real action into the future. Mm-hmm. With the UK government hosting it, wh- how hopeful are you that the UK will be able to uh, come to the table with what it needs to come to the table with and do the things that we would be looking for in Scotland in order to tackle the, the climate emergency? Yeah, uh, COP26 is an enormous, an enormous opportunity for the, for the world to, to finally put right the wrongs of, of many decades of poor policy from governments right across the world. And I dread to think what the consequences will be if we don't get the outcomes that, that we need. Uh, you know, I've got a, a young son, uh, just when he turned two years old, and it's his future that's on the line here, what, what the world's going to be like when he's growing up. So. I, I don't want to, to think too much about what would happen if, if we don't get the outcomes that we need, which is obviously to, in the first instance, meet the, the Paris targets, um, because the consequences of not doing that would be dire. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a massive opportunity, a massive opportunity, and it's one that the UK government and the rest of the world, quite frankly, can't afford to miss. And if Scotland was going to COP26 as an independent country, hosting, uh, this uh, event. Do you feel that we would be uh, well placed to be a world leader mm-hmm. in terms of saying these are the actions that need to be taken, here are the agreements that we're willing to sign up? What do you think would be different about Scotland leading the, the charge at something like COP26? Uh, g- genuinely, I think the, the biggest difference would be that we'd take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had a, a Prime Minister who went to the United Nations and quoted Kermit the Frog. <laughs> and uh, just the other day, we seen the First Minister give a, a, a speech which has been widely acclaimed by environmental critics right across the world because we take these issues seriously. We want to see the planet, the, well, the future of the planet, be protected and to be sustainable going forward. So yeah, I, I think Scotland would be perfectly placed. This is this is the the perfect example of where Scotland's soft power and influence could have been utilised to to a massive degree. Now, obviously, the UK government have tried to to shut us out as as best they can. They've tried to shut out the Scottish government. They've tried to shut out the the First Minister. But the reality is that we won't be shut out because we've got a good story to tell and uh, I've no doubt that our First Minister will continue to do that. Stephen, thank you very much indeed for joining me on Scotland's Choice. Pleasure, thank you. Now, before you go, I asked Stephen if he agreed with me that the UK government simply isn't doing enough to address the climate emergency. 
Yeah, the, the UK government have had their head in the sand when it comes to the environment and obviously the opportunities of the renewable sector for, for decades. And, and we've seen just in the last week the betrayal of the northeast of Scotland, we've seen the betrayal over carbon capture and underground storage, the Just Transition Fund. And we look at Scotland and what we would do differently and, and, and I think it's quite clear that we would invest in Scotland's future. We would put Scotland's future first and foremost and, and the UK government's not interested in that. They want to continue to, to plough the furrows of, of nuclear and the like, none of which benefits Scotland. And on the subject of what an independent Scotland would do differently? Uh, invest and invest now and invest heavily in, in, in the, tech, the technologies of the future. So putting the likes of hydro pump storage, tidal, wave, hydrogen, carbon capture, underground storage, offshore wind, putting them all at the forefront of our economic future. That's exactly what we would be doing if we were an independent country. And hopefully at some point we'll get to that point and be able to deliver upon that. My thanks to Stephen for taking part and to you for listening. Don't forget you can find new and previous episodes of Scotland's Choice at scotlandschoice.scot. If you can share this podcast, it can help others with their decision on Scotland's future. I'm Drew Hendry and I hope you'll join me next time on Scotland's Choice.